when Justin uh, had had messaged me about coming uh, to be with you guys uh, and, and given some, uh, told me where you were going to be in Luke uh, during that time, there was a section on discipleship that uh, is where we're going to jump into uh, here. Here We're going to get there eventually, but there's some setup that we have to do first. But uh, looking at uh, the section on discipleship uh, was something that really stood out to me as something that is significant to to be able to, to get into uh, with you guys. And so as I was thinking about it, uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, when, when I was growing up, I didn't know everything. That changed as I got older. I know everything now, obviously. But when I was a kid, I didn't know everything. Um, and I uh, grew up working in chicken houses. Uh, my grandparents had chicken houses. My aunt had chicken houses. In Coleman, everyone has chicken houses. That's just the way it is. And so I grew up working in chicken houses. Um, but as a kid, you know, not getting paid for it. You know, you go in, you go in there with your grandpa and, and uh, kind of mess around while he's doing stuff. And you, you're exposed to it, but you don't really know what you're doing. You just kind of follow him around and, and, uh, and just watch uh, things that are going on. When I got in high school, uh, a guy from my church approached me and said, Hey, will you come and work in my chicken houses? And so, uh, before I could drive, he would come and pick me up and take me and work in his chicken houses. And during that time, uh, there was a lot of a lot of time where he started out. We would we would be together all the time, and I was I was helping him do whatever it is that he needed. So we would take care of the chickens. We would um, we would do repairs on the chicken houses. He had some cows too, so we would go and and you know take care of the cows, fix the fences. We would build stuff. I would weed eat around all these big chicken houses. There was a lot of things that we did. And when I started working for him, I didn't really know how to do any of that stuff. I just followed him around and he showed me uh, what was going on. And eventually he kind of just went and did his own thing. And I uh, got to stay there and take care of the chickens while he was out playing golf most of the time. And so <clears throat> there's a process that happens that you're, you're taught that um, what, I, what my experience has been is that self-made people are very arrogant um, and, and it's, it's hard for them to, to really see humility that someone had to help them along in the process. Uh, one of the things that has been a, a, a pride of mine for a long time, I'm familiar with Jacksonville State University a lot because when I was in high school, uh, I was on the math team, and the math team state championships happened at Jacksonville State University. And so, uh, and, and the award ceremonies were in that, that rounded facility uh, that got destroyed by uh, the tornado. And so I, I was familiar with that building. Uh, when I was in high school, we won three state championships uh, in, in, on the math team. But I remember... Uh, in fifth grade, I had moved from North, from Virginia back to Alabama, and in Virginia, I had missed about six weeks of school uh, because of snow. We had this huge ice storm, and so when I got back to Alabama and I got in my math class, I was behind. I was really behind, and I had to have my brother-in-law actually tutor me in math because I wasn't the math team state champion at that point. I needed help. I needed someone to actually show me 
uh, what to do and how to do this stuff. And one of the things that we get uh, within uh, the things that God has for us, discipleship is one of the most important things that we're told about in Scripture. Growing in your faith and who God is, understanding who He is, knowing what it means to walk with Him faithfully. Those are things that you're taught. They're not things that you just naturally do. Our flesh fights against that constantly. And we need people to help us along the way. So if you have, uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible device, um, go ahead and open up. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. We're going to move pretty fast. Uh, so hang with me. Uh, we're going to start in Matthew 28. Because if we're going to talk about discipleship, there's a couple of things that we need to talk about. We need to talk about why discipleship, what discipleship is. And there's a cost associated with it. So we're going to talk about some of those things today. Uh, and we're going to start with the why. In the place that I've read this passage of scripture probably more times than any, because it's really the, the passage that, um, that Campus Crusade was founded around and that my ministry has been built uh, upon for, for so many years. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the last command that Jesus gives to his disciples. So we see this right before he ascends back into heaven after, after the resurrection. This is the last instruction that he gives. And it's one that we can't underestimate the importance of what he's trying to say here. Jesus has been on earth and he hasn't done everything himself. And we're going to look at some places where he's sent out his disciples already to do the, the ministry of the gospel. But what he's doing here is he's setting up some groundwork saying, if the world is going to be changed, the way that it's going to happen is by going and making disciples. And so what's important about this passage of scripture, a lot of people look at this and, and, um, and there's, there's, they, they've tried to make this a little bit not what it's intended to be by focusing on the going going is a part of this some people want to tell you it just means as you were going but I'll get to that in a second the, that's focusing on the wrong part the part the main part of this passage is the word uh, that word in Greek is make disciples and what, uh, what it is, that is the central command. The central command of the Great Commission is to make disciples. The rest of it is actually setting up what that actually means. So making disciples means this, going. It talks about the nations, which means it's not just as you were going, because the nations weren't around them like they are with us today. It means there's an intentionality about, go, about the making of disciples, that you are intentionally getting out of your comfort zone at times. And you're going to tell people the gospel that there's a, there's a baptizing aspect in this. That means that to baptize, people have to come to faith. Evangelism is necessary in making disciples um, and in and, and bringing them along in a community of believers. That's necessary in making disciples. Teaching is a key part. Um, that's the one that, that's very easy to focus on. Teaching uh, is there. And so it's helping others grow. 
And all of this is something that is done through the power of the Holy Spirit because that's what God has given us to enable us to go forward and take the gospel message to the world. We don't have to be experts to do this because the, gospel, the, the command of the Great Commission was given to everyone, not just a select few. If it was just given to the person that stands up here on a Sunday morning and everyone else just receives, then it dies right there. It has to go forward, and it has to go forward not just by a select few people doing, but the church goes out and is a part of the Great Commission. It is a command to all, not a command to a select few. And the reason that everyone is qualified for this is because when you become a believer, the same Holy Spirit that's at work within the person who is giving you a message on Sunday morning lives inside of you. And if the Holy Spirit is the one that actually does the work of changing people's hearts, it doesn't rest on how capable you are. It rests on how capable He is. And so you are qualified as a follower of Jesus. You're qualified. This is how the world will be changed. By people intentionally going out and the people that they meet and they encounter, they get to share the gospel with and get to help them grow and get to send them out to continue that process. Discipleship is intentional. Don't wait. Go and do it. Be intentional about it. Take the opportunities that you have. Discipleship is exponential. One of the things that uh, when I came to Birmingham, we started focusing on discipleship and empowering students to go and share the gospel. We have a group, of, a really special group of seniors this year. Um, that special group of seniors, we just had a spring uh, break retreat. Um, they were our speakers over the course of that uh, week. Uh, and, and it was really special because the, the time invested in them, the growth that they've experienced and the things that they've gotten to do with the gospel, they then got to challenge our younger believers with who they have already been discipling. And they have been discipling and they have been discipling. We have that, uh, we have that year by year um, uh, plan going where senior disciples are junior, junior disciples are sophomore sophomore disciples of freshmen so that growth continues and goes outward. Well, it started with six seniors. Those six seniors now have had an influence in over 45 different students' life through a process of discipleship that has been just continued in exponential fashion. And that's how it works. It starts little. Exponential growth means that you continue through a process. Um, we cast that vision by saying if one, if one senior, one, if we start with you as a freshman, and then the next year you disciple two people, and then the next year they disciple two people, and then the next year they disciple two people, um, you, you get through 26 people over the course of four years. That's the way exponential growth happens. It's not just, if it was just one person going one by one to do it, it's never going to happen. It's not going to work that way. It's exponential. And it's continual. 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, 
Um, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, teach to faithful men who can also teach others. So it doesn't end. The, the measure of successful discipleship is not in how much information you know and have given to someone else. But how are their disciples and then their disciples and their disciples faithfully walking with Jesus? That's the measure of successful discipleship. It doesn't, it's not in the first generation. It may not even be in the second generation. It's that continued thing because it has to continue. So what is a disciple? We, we, we've talked about this, this idea of why is it important? This is the way that, that the world is going to be changed. What is a disciple? The best definition that I've found uh, is from a book uh, called Chasing Infinity by um, Mark Lederbach. And here's what it says. A disciple is a person. It's a little wordy, so follow me here. A disciple is a person who places his or her faith in Christ and joyfully disciplines his or her life through obedience to God's commands in order to become like Jesus in all facets of life and character and join him on his mission with other disciples. Let me break that down because there's a lot um, contained in that. It's, it's really thorough. I like that definition because it's very thorough. And here's what it breaks down into. A disciple is someone who has faith in Jesus. They joyfully discipline their life. They have a, they're, they're growing in Christ-like character. And they join the mission of continuing discipleship. So what happens here is when you, when you start looking at this, faith in Jesus, a disciple, uh, when they come to faith in Jesus, that's the starting point. That's not the end. When I was growing up as a kid, I went to church, um, and I heard the gospel a lot. And Sundays is where it stayed. And that's not what it's about. Coming to faith in Jesus is a starting point on a journey of pursuing him and growing in godly character. So it's the starting point. Joyful discipline is what starts next. That uh, It's not just a Sunday thing, but you begin reading scripture and you begin seeing who God is, what his character is, what his heart is for you and how that can be lived out in your own life. You're growing in Christ-like character, being transformed continually by truth. So it's not just something you're hearing, but it's actually taking root in your heart and coming out by joining in the mission. If it ends with you, that's not, that's not the measure of success. It has to continue. It has to move forward. It has to go forward. And so this word disciple, uh, in, in the New Testament, the word disciple is used 240 times. The word Christian is used three times. And so here's what, what it means. So, so to be a Christian means to be a disciple. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It has to continue. And it's not just about a Sunday morning. And it's not just about a one-time 
confession of faith. That's not what it's about. We were created for discipleship. This is an interesting concept that I've been that I've been um, looking into more recently. That in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, they were created for discipleship. That Adam walked with God in the cool of the day so much so that he knew the sound of God approaching. After they sinned, it, it said that he heard the Lord coming. Like he knew the sound of God because he walked with him. He walked with God. He'd gotten familiar with him. God had given him instruction. Here, uh, take care of the garden. Don't eat this tree. He'd given him instructions. And he'd given him a mission. Be fruitful and multiply. That was what um, that was the discipleship process that went on with Adam, and what Adam was created for—to be discipled by God. That was our original design. Discipleship was in our DNA from the beginning: pursuing God, growing in God, displaying God's glory. So it sounds great, right? Like discipleship. I want to grow. I want to like um, understand who God is. I want to be a part of this mission. And it makes me think about uh, the beginning of the year when everyone has their New Year's resolutions. And they go, I'm going to go to the gym. Uh, and they go, and then it gets hard, and they stop. There's a cost associated with discipleship as well. Um, it's, not, it's, it's not just, hey, that's a great idea. Let's, let's go and do that. Um, there's some perseverance that's required. The cost of discipleship. Uh, here's where we're going to jump into Luke. So uh, Luke chapter 9. Um, we're going to be in Luke for, for a little bit. Luke chapter 9. Uh, starting, we're going to read verse 23 through 26 first to give us a setup about this cost of discipleship. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He uses some really intentional language here. Um, crucifixion is not something that was casually discussed uh, in the first century. Crucifixion was, uh, was a very gruesome, uh, grotesque form of torture that the Romans had perfected. He uses that language intentionally here because there's something he's trying to draw their attention back to. Um, there are certain events that are very formative in life. Uh, you can probably think of, of some certain days that, that, that you can look back to and know that your life was shaped by that event. So July 22nd, 2006, um, that's when uh, Monica and I got married. Uh, May 10th, 2017, that's when our girls moved in with us. October 21st, 2016, that's the day that my dad died. There's, there's things that shape you, and that when you hear that date, it's always going to mark it for you. How about December 7th, 
1941. Anybody know what that was? Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. It's a date that marks history. How about September 11th, 2001? Anybody remember what you? Uh, anybody remember where you were on uh, on September 11th, 2001? I was a freshman in college. I was in my 8 a.m. calculus class. I left that class. I came back to my dorm, and the TVs were on in the lobby, and everybody was just glued to them. I remember where I was. There are certain things that you remember. You remember where you were when they happened. And when you, you don't have to say the, the attack on uh, the Twin Towers. You say 9-11, everybody, that, that just, it stands out to you. From that point on, um, when I would play basketball and the storm hit 9-11, it, it, it just comes back to your mind. Like, there are things that trigger memories. And Jesus just used one of those with his disciples here. Let me, let me tell you what he's talking about here, what he's triggering their memories of. Acts uh, 5, verse 37 says this. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. What in the world is he talking about here? Why, why is he telling us? Who, who is Judas the Galilean? Like, this is kind of a crazy story that he's trying to draw attention to. Well, Judas the Galilean was uh, a zealot uh, in the Jewish faith. Uh, and, and zealots uh, meant that they, they had a high value on Israel as a nation and its land. That was the promise that God had given them. They had a land. They were people. They were called out by God. And uh, the zealots would do whatever they could because they did not want Roman occupation. So they were known for actually uh, creating riots in marketplaces and going in. And when the Roman soldiers would come in to break it up, they would take their, uh, their daggers and they'd stab them uh, as they came in to break up the riots. Well, what Judas the Galilean had done, he had organized a militia that had actually gone in and taken over. Uh, they, they captured the Roman garrison. And so they were pretty successful. Like, that, that's a big deal to go in and, and, and overtake a Roman garrison. Uh, this was around the year 86. So uh, think about Jesus and his disciples. They're, you know, very young boys, perhaps, at this time. He organized this group. They went in and took the Roman garrison. And then he decides, now we're going to march on Jerusalem. We're going to take it back from Roman occupation because it's not theirs. It's ours. God gave it to us. We're going to go and get it back. Well, he takes his men. They march on Jerusalem. And the Roman soldiers, who are well-trained and well-armed, stamp out their rebellion very quickly. They didn't have a chance. And to make an example of them, the emperor had... Uh, all of these men, there were 2,000 that were left. He had them carry a cross throughout the streets of Jerusalem. The streets of Jerusalem were well, uh, well designed during those days. Uh, some of those roads are still used today. They were, they were very well done. Um, they had them take up their cross, 
Roman soldier was with each one of them, and he would say, take up your cross. And they would carry their cross through the streets of Jerusalem so that everyone could see them. And at the time that they could no longer bear their cross, he would say, lay down your cross, and they would be crucified on the spot. Crucifixion is not something that you die quickly from. It, was, it can be days. You don't die of blood loss or of, of the pain, although both of those are significant. You die because you can, you, you, you're hanging in such a way that your lungs uh, can't get the air that they need. And so you actually have to pull yourself up to be able to breathe. So you die of asphyxiation. Slow and painful death of asphyxiation. So these men who had been in this rebellion, these 2,000 men, carried their crosses throughout the streets of Jerusalem. And when they laid down their cross, they were crucified on the spot. And they hung there for days as people went to the market, as they went to the synagogue, as they went through their daily lives, seeing this example that had been made of what happens when you rebel against the Roman government. And when uh, the, the time came that, that if anyone went to help them, they would be crucified right next to them. So when Jesus tells his 11 out of his 12 disciples were from Galilee, this time frame in his ministry is called the Galilean ministry. That's where he was doing his ministry was in the area where Judas, the Galilean, had come from. When he said, take up your cross, they didn't have to question what he meant. They knew what he meant. They knew that following him meant, when I lay down my cross, that's it. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't take up your cross and lay it down. You, you, you take up your cross because you know the consequences. You know that you're committing something for life. That that is who you are. That's, that's what's going on. There's a cost associated with discipleship. And he goes on to paint that picture a little further um, at the end of chapter, uh, of chapter 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you. Wherever you go, and Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that when you follow me, you're, you're in. You're committed. There, there's nothing. Don't look back. He, he gives them three things here. Don't worry. Like, don't think about the logistics. Don't worry about the logistics of following me. Where am I going to sleep? Don't worry about the logistics. Just follow me. Don't waste time. Like, my plans are there. Well, don't waste time on that. Follow me. Don't look back. The grass is always greener somewhere else, right? 
you don't go backwards. You continue to go forwards. And part of the, the hardship, part of the difficulty that they're about to encounter is that he's going to ask them to do one of the hardest things that you ask a disciple to do. He's going to ask them to go out as sent ones. Evangelism is discouraging a lot. Like that's a hard thing to do. Chapter 10, 1. Um, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him. Two by two, in every town and every place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, go earnest, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go, on, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. One of the hardest things that you do in following Jesus is go out. Um, and, and, but that's what he's telling them, that evangelism, intentionally going out, um, it's, it's not something that's uh, just random. It's ordered. Like he sent them 72, two by two, go out into all these areas. Here's where you're supposed to go. Initiate with people. Tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. Pray. And I think this is what's, this is an interesting thing. Jesus has invited people to pray for something. Have you ever thought about a prayer request that Jesus would issue to you? Like if you're like, hey, Jesus, how can I pray for you? Well, we get one in, in Scripture. We get one in Scripture. One prayer request of Jesus. That you would pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers for his harvest fields. And it's in the context of him sending out that when you go out to share the gospel with people, you're not just hoping for a convert. What you're hoping for is a labor. That's the goal of evangelism. Not just that, that a person, that, that's a great thing that a person uh, becomes a believer. But you are praying that they would become a laborer. Because it takes more. It, it's not just one person doing the work. And it's hard. There's a reality check that he gives them. That they're leaving the safety and comfort zone of, of the people that are familiar. They're leaving this, the comfort of easy, just Bible study and worship and fellowship. Now they're actually going out into people who aren't going to receive them well. And that's hard. That's a, a hard reality. Uh, Ten seventeen says what happens. The 72 return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. There's excitement that happens when people, uh, when you start seeing the results of ministry. And you get kind of the warm fuzzies. Like that's an, that's an awesome thing. But in 1020, he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Results are great, is what Jesus is saying. But listen, results are not the goal. Faithfulness, being faithful to the call that God's given you, that's, that's better. That's better than all the results that you can have. The last thing here, we're in, and um, we're going we're to end right here. Um, we've, given, there's been a, we've, we've gotten a, a big overview of discipleship now, right? All of this, then, is rooted in Jesus as our example. Luke 2.52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew. He was discipled. Um, 
John 20, 21. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. Jesus was the original sent one. And so he's sending us as he was sent. And then Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the name, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus was, Jesus was discipled, he was sent out, and he persevered in it. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, he stayed the course as our example for us to look to as the author and perfecter of our faith. So now what is kind of the thing? So we, 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 we've got this overview, we've seen that Jesus is our example, all this. There's kind of four things that I think that, to think about. Pursue Jesus is the first thing. Look for opportunities to disciple other people. Find that person that you can invest in. That you can help them grow uh, in who God made them. Look for someone to disciple you. That was a little harder sometimes. Look for someone that can invest in you. <coughs> and don't discount yourself. If you know Jesus and trust that God is ultimately the one who transforms people. All you have to do is be faithful to point people to him.